You know, one of the problems with working with small children is that when they get sick, you get sick. So with a box of tissues at the ready, cough drops in a lovely pile, and a frog in my throat, I'd like to welcome you, boys and girls, children of all ages, to DDT Wrestling. My name is DC Matthews, at DC Matthews NAI, and I am joined, as always, by the spicy to my savory, the unendorsed Doc Manson. Doc, how are you? It's Wednesday, oddly enough. It sure is. A little early in the week for us, but, uh, you know, I think we're still going to put on a wonderful show we for the neighborhood. Do. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so, as you said, I'm Doc Manson, at Doc Manson on Twitter, which he did not say. But, uh, you know what, guys? you got to get out there. you got to get out there spreading the word about DDT wrestling. I got. I mean, we need to get the subscribers up. I need more followers. I'm not happy with my influence right now. Frankly, at 183 followers, I have no doubt that people are going to be jumping ship as I say this. It'll probably be at 179 by the time that tonight is over. Uh, come on. If we're going to take over the world, I need more than 200 followers, at least. You got, you got called out on NAI Pod yesterday. I didn't get to listen to the whole thing. Apologies. I, I got Mr. called out? They said, you now have posting privileges on the website. They took care of it for you. So now you've got to put your money where your mouth is and start writing. Wait a minute. How did they take care of it for me? <clears throat> I talked to them and I said, would it be possible to arrange it so that you can post every day? They tweaked whatever they needed to tweak on their end, and so now you can post every day on newageinsiders.com. Well, wait a minute, but nobody told me this. And ha- Wait. I'm I telling you this right now. For, yeah, sure, but I don't think I have an account on that website. Do I? I don't know. That would be a how would question. I? How would I? Maybe I, you know, maybe I made an account and I don't remember. Um. Hmm. Okay. Well, this is riveting radio, no doubt. We'll have to get this sorted out. If I actually have an account that's been tweaked, uh, I'll have to think about you know writing something someday. Probably not during October, though. Uh, I don't know if you've been keeping up, but uh, Shocktober is in full effect. Well, let's do that. But we're, I, I'm impressed. It's two minutes and forty five seconds into the podcast, and we haven't talked about food yet. So why don't you do a quick update? I'm gonna go check our. Email address ddtwrestling at gmail dot com because uh, we have a bit of a mailbag to do today. Oh, we, we have really? some we have some feedback not from email but from Twitter things for us to talk about. So why don't you do a quick Shocktober update while I check our email? Absolutely. All right. So neighborhood, let me get you the skinny here. I have had absolutely no pumpkin spice flavored confections this week. I know, not much of an update. And actually, I guess I misspoke. I have had pumpkin spice confections this week. However, no new ones. Nothing to tell you about. Although, I don't think I've spoken about it on the podcast before, but there's this uh, small brewery. I think they're based in Connecticut called Two Roads Brewery. And they make this seasonal pumpkin spice beer. Uh, it is it is delicious. This is a delicious ale. And here's the thing. It's not just brewed with pumpkin and spices. They also age it in rum barrels. Rosemary's Baby. Two Roads Brewery, Rosemary's Baby. So let's make sure we got that. It's Rhodes as in I'm 
walking down the roads, not Absolutely. dusty roads. Well, it roads, could be. Roads, well, it's not spelled the same. You showed me the label in the camera. No, no, no. But, I mean, you know, what's that when the, something uh, sounds like a homophone or whatever? It could totally work either way. Whatever you want to do. I'm not going to put restraints on you. I'm not going to sit here and tell you how things have to be spelt. I mean, spelt is a good example, right? L-L-E-D or t- L-T. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know. I'm not going to pretend and say that this has to be one way or the other. I don't care what side of the pond you're from. You can spell it however you like. What are we talking about? I, I'm i on so many cold medicines right now, I can't even keep track. Um, T-Hog, at T-Hog, I think it's 94. I don't have it in front of me. The father of 12-year-old Con Man, the New Age Insider's youngest and coolest fan. Oh, yeah. Sorry about a Serbian film again. Uh, many apologies. Um, he showed us that pumpkin Snickers. And I realized I will lo- I will gladly eat food that's in the shape of a pumpkin as long as it doesn't taste like pumpkin. What about an actual pumpkin? I'm not a huge fan. We have like, a... What, what if I just, what if I just like, had a pumpkin and I just, you know, carved off a side of it can and you, I put it in your face? Can you eat pumpkin like watermelon? Well, I don't think you're supposed to, but I certainly think you could. And I would pay you at least $5 to do so. No, not even for $5 would I eat pumpkin. I've had baked pumpkin before, and I'm not a fan. <laughs> All right. Well, fair enough. All um, right. So, Shocktober. You, you started talking about pumpkin stuff. I told well, you. Well, to yeah. Get- well, you said Shocktober, and I thought that, you know, I know that we've been resonating on Twitter throughout the entire neighborverse um, of all about pumpkin-related confections, so I thought maybe I would start there, because it's part of Shocktober. I don't see the pumpkin stuff lasting into November once we start doing the uh, stuffing podcast. So I can't wait for the stuffing podcast. I know, man. Hey, there's this, um, not to get off topic, but there's this sandwich shop down by Mrs. Manson's parents, and they make this sandwich called the Gobbler. Oh, it is. It's just Thanksgiving dinner on a bun, man. Turkey, stuffing, cranberry. You know the one. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, all sorts of places have this thing, but... There's a... What a a sandwich. There's a diner near where I work that does that. I think it's called The Patriot. And the Gobbler is such a better, such a better name. It is a better name, and I don't remember if it's really called the Patriot. They also have something that I believe is called the Red Nine, and it's a big slice of tomato and nine strips of bacon, and that's it. Bacon. If I ate tomato, which I don't, add that Come to the on. list of foods that what I don't eat. What is wrong with you? I'll eat Just tomato. Eat it. I'll eat tomato sauce. I'll eat ketchup, but I'm not a big tomato fan. You're it's missing a, out, man. It's a texture thing. It's the texture. I get it. I, I know. But, you know, bacon, lettuce, tomato, it's one of the purest pleasures in this world, I'm telling you. Uh, but, but, yeah, back to Shocktober. Um, so I actually have been keeping up with the quest. I don't know. Tonight might be the day that breaks the streak, man. I've actually watched a film a day for the entire month of October. Here we are, uh, Wednesday night, the 14th. Um, I don't know if I'm going to get one in since we're doing a pod, but I'm going to try my hardest when we get her out for here uh, to see if I can uh, get one banged out. And the other thing is, you know, I've been continuing actually reviewing all of the movies that I've watched. Go over to bmoviegeek.com. That's bmoviegeek.com. And you can read all about 
all the movies I've been watching this Shocktober. Doc Manson gabbing about B-movies, horror, all sorts of ridiculous stuff. Uh, and so actually I've done a review for every movie I've watched. I'm up to, I'm currently writing uh, movie number 13. Uh, so for those of you, I think I left off last time with uh, movie 8, It Follows. There was a three-letter word there that you didn't appreciate very much uh, and refused, if I recall, to say it out loud. So we'll just blur right by that. Uh, since then, I have watched Annabelle. Um, that was a sort of prequel to The Conjuring from 2012, uh, Demonic Doll. Uh, I really, really liked The Conjuring. I liked that as a period horror piece. It really felt like it was in the times. Did you happen to see that film? Of course not. Why would I even ask you that? But, no, absolutely not. Oh, man, that was a good horror film, a good haunting ghost story, I thought. And it's sort of based on sort of a true story. I mean, they, they embellish, of course, but it's based off the real-life paranormal uh, investigative team a husband wife team the warrens they used to come to yukon if you remember i remember the warrens i do yeah well anyways it's What's, based on them let, let me interject here for a minute what is your take on the whole paranormal thing like do you do, do you believe in the supernatural i don't want to turn this into an hour-long philosophical oh man discussion this could on... easily be an hour-long philosophical discussion <clears throat> and we should totally do like a pure completely tangential off-topic halloween show at some point this i month. i think if we had the time yeah. i think you and i should do two shows a week one that's ddt <laughs> wrestling and one that's just ddt well, fair enough, fair enough. Um, but yeah, in terms of paranormal, do I believe? Well, I'm a man of science, so the answer is no. Not a chance in hell. Not really. Um, however, I will say, as a man of science, I am open to the idea of things that we don't know about yet. Um, so I'm not saying necessarily that there's no that people aren't out there legitimately experiencing things that you know based off of current perceptions are called ghosts or hauntings or whatever uh that could certainly just be some sort of phenomenon or stimuli that we're not yet familiar with um but i will say certainly there's no evidence supporting that yet so it's really just a flight of fancy but i mean you know someday maybe who knows there could be something that comes of it but what about all those people who you know they bring all of this and I'm using air quotes here, scientific equipment. You know, they've got, <laughs> you know, readers and all sorts of those yeah, kinds sure. of things. Yeah, sure. Ghost hunters. Yeah, right. So here's the thing. They do this thing called, like, um, oh, geez, what is it called? Uh, EVP, uh, Electronic Voice Phenomenon. And so basically they have a recorder, right? And it's just recording, and they ask questions into the ether. And, you know, the theory is that you don't hear anything with your own ears, but if you go back and listen to the tape afterwards, maybe you'll hear something uh, there. Some sort of energy has been passed that you can't hear, but was still able to be picked up on the recorder. It's a big on that show, Ghost Hunters, and, you know, other areas as well. Um, you know, that's cool and all that you're using some scientific equipment for this or, you know, IR thermometers to look for cold spots and whatever. Um, the problem is they haven't disproved the null hypothesis, which is basically that any of this actually exists, right? So EVP, great, you might pick something up on there, but that's not proof of ghosts because there's no proof that that's how ghosts communicate. You know what I mean? That's just... There, there, there's actually there's there's no there's nothing there's not even a correlation between that stuff and it actually being real. You'd actually have to show first that you know this is a viable method by which ghosts communicate. And, and in fact, you'd have to first show 
that ghosts exist at all before that even becomes a viable scientific tool for measuring their existence or interactions with this physical plane, world, whatever you want to call it. So, I mean, until you actually have the basic groundwork showing that any of this is all related, you're just... you're It's bad science, is what it is. Until you actually show that the thing that you're measuring is related to the thing that you say, you know, it's um, representing, it's just hogwash. It's just hearsay. It, it's, it's There's no actual scientific basis, regardless of the fancy tools they may or may not use. This is the ghost of DDT Wrestling, and he wants you to talk about actual wrestling. Well, that's too bad, because we only talked about the first horror film, and that was Annabelle. Talk about how terrible Ryback is. Ryback is phenomenal. And let's not, I will not have any of this from you, Mr. Ghost. I will bust your ass so quickly and put you in my containment unit that uh, even Walter Peck isn't going to be able to let you free. I don't understand that reference. I'm an old ghost. Fair enough. But I do like Ecto Cooler. It's so green and delicious. They, they, need, they need to bring... Can we just talk for a second? If they brought back Ecto Cooler, like today, I would be at... I would, I would leave this podcast recording, and I would be gone to the store to buy them out. Ecto Cooler is delicious, and they need... They, st- and they still have the recipe. They released it just a couple of years ago underneath another name, so it still exists. They just they just have to... And, you know, Ghostbusters, that new that remake or sequel, whatever you want to call it, with the all-female cast is coming out soon. So I have hope that Ecto Cooler may be in our future. They should also bring back Crystal Clear Pepsi. No, they should not do that, because that was awful. But Ecto Cooler, delicious. And stop hijacking my show, Ghost. So anyways, I just want to do, real quick, um, I watched... VHS, which was a um, anthology film. There's not many good anthology films out there, which is basically, you know, they tell multiple stories within the course of the one film. And VHS, a relatively recent film, each of the shorts are directed by a different sort of notable up-and-comer in the horror genre. Some of them are already kind of established. But that film was excellent. Um, honestly, I would recommend that to anybody. It is a found footage style film as well, and so the cinematography is a little, maybe, hard to watch, especially for prone to motion sickness. It's, you know, it's a real low-quality sort of fast but there's a lot of really cool ideas, imaginative things in there if you're a fan of the genre. Um, and I watched another found footage film, Digging Up the Morrow, which stars Adam Green. Adam Green is actually the director of Hatchet and Hatchet 2, which was a pretty big horror genre release within the last five years or so. Um, really bringing back you know, the slasher film. Kane Hodder was coming in and playing the villain there after being you know, let go by the Friday the 13th series. So that's, I think that's one that's really close to the hearts of a lot of horror fans of the Hatchet series. Anyway, so Adam Green steps in front of the camera, playing himself in this mockumentary where he's going in search of real-life monsters. Ray Weiss is in it as well. It's a really excellent film. It's kind of quirky, kind of funny. Again, it's another sort of found footage style film, but the cinematography in this is amazing. It's really like the exact opposite of VHS. Like, this is really, really well made. Um, And anyways, it was a fun film. You know, I I don't think it was great or anything, but it was fun. It was a nice, lighter thing. Good to share with friends who maybe aren't a big fan of horror in general. Um, That was pretty entertaining, yeah. Hatchet was a book about a kid lost in the Canadian woods because the pilot had a heart attack and the plane crashed. What? I'm a very literate ghost. I read a lot. And that was a book by Gary Paulson. And I read it. (laughs) (laughs) 
Move on. Move okay. on, please, because the, the, the ghost is hurting my vocal cords, so keep All going. Right. Uh, Tremors 5. I don't know. if Did you ever see Tremors? I have seen some of the Tremors movie because it had the dad from Family Ties, so I gave it yes. a shot. Yes. That movie, I don't. I said you only saw some of it, but that <clears> movie is... I I maybe it's these are rose tinted glasses speaking. I love Tremors. Fred Ward, Kevin Bacon, and Michael Gross, who was the father from Family Ties. I I enjoyed that. That movie was not the same kind of quote unquote horror movie. I didn't mind those movies. When no, that one's it. very a, much a modern sort of B movie, a, a monster romp. And I will tell you, all the goodwill from that first film stays with me to this day. And I have watched all of the sequels, and they are all. I won't say terrible, but none of them are good. And they intro- they introduce twists into into the monsters. So in the first one, you know, they, they, they have the graboids, you know, the giant worms that tunnel through the sand with the retractable snake-like appendages that come out of their mouths. Well, in the sequel, it turns out that the graboids, these worm creatures, give birth to a second generation of things that they call shriekers. And they're basically just two legs with these little bodies with teeth, and they... They're just these little things that walk on land, like, with teeth, and they see with IR, and they're not very interesting. And then in the third film, it turns out the Shriekers give birth to these things that they end up calling ass blasters. So it's another form of this creature. It's basically just teeth with wings, and they fly by emitting this noxious chemical mixture from their rear end, which bursts into flames or giving them, you know, some sort of propulsion mechanism, and the wings are just used for gliding. Um, and I gotta say, with every twist they put on the life cycle of the Graboids, I am less and less interested in these films. Now, I will say, if you watched the first one because Michael Gross was in it, dad from uh, Family Ties... He is the one constant in this series. He has been there in all five installments, even the awful television series. Um, he, I, he must be hurting, man. I, that said, I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep watching these films as long as they make them. Again, that goodwill from the first one. It. I don't know why, but for some reason, I. I, like an idiot, I just keep going back and watching them. They're not bad. But they're not good, you know what I mean? They just well, are. You, you talk about Michael Gross being hurting. Besides Michael J. Fox, no one from that cast, you know, Justine Bateman's not doing anything, Meredith Baxter Bernie's on Lifetime movies, the youngest kid's like a goth band leader or something like that. I, I looked, like all, it, I looked no, it up on uh, the Internet Movie Database, IMDb. The last installment, Tremors 4, was in 2004. It's been 11 years why did they go back to the well? I have no idea. Because they knew people like you would watch it. I, I mean, and they were... I wouldn't have watched it, except it just randomly... It just came out, and it was immediately on Netflix streaming. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, fine. Yeah. I'll watch it. Why with not? A, with all of the streaming options, you know, if you can make a movie for... I don't know how much that movie probably costs. I'm to guessing make, but, nothing. But if you can make movies for next to nothing, why not? Yeah, you're right. And so then the last film I watched last night was called The Demon's Rook. It's available on Amazon Prime Streaming. And... Is it The Devil Playing Chess? I'd watch that movie. The Demon's Rook? Uh, No, I don't think the actual devil was in it. But uh, I can sum up my review in basically seven words. What the heck did I just watch? Um, it's, It's a bad film. But I enjoyed watching it. Like, 
they'll just have to go to B-Movie Geek to read the full thing once I get my thoughts out. Because I don't understand this film at all. If you watch the trailer, if you go on to Amazon Prime and watch the trailer for The Demon's Rook, it looks like this fun, like, B-Movie where, like, this burly, bearded guy fights demons and it looks like it's going to be this action-packed sort of B-movie fest. Maybe like Jack Brooks Monster Slayer or something like that. Something in those lines. And by the way, Jack Brooks, great film. If you haven't seen it, check that one out. But so it, it, this looks like it's going to be this fun like B-movie film from the trailer. And you know, the demon's rook. Rook being uh, too swindle, too cheat. I feel like I was cheated by this film because you actually watch it and you know there's some gore but it's not none of it's played for scares um it's very much it's not even really a horror film it's more like a like an independent fantasy film and like it it takes cues from like early italian horror where there's like this synth heavy soundtrack that runs through the entire run length of the film there's very little dialogue it's almost like an urban fantasy like this sprawling sort of story that just takes it's time going and like none of it is fun like it's you look at it like the effects uh the makeup and 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 like i said the gore and everything and it's very much this b film but it's incredibly self-serious like there's no winking there's no nodding it's very much this like serious independent sort of fantasy film and it's completely different than what you expect from the trailer and i don't know like i sort of respect it because how could a filmmaker make a film like this? It wasn't, but it wasn't good, but I, yeah, I don't know. The Demon's Rook, I don't really recommend checking it out, but if you're, if you just gotta know, I mean, uh, yeah, I guess. Amazon Prime Instant, you can watch it for free. Check out the trailer, because it's very different from the film itself. Or just wait for your review on bmoviegeek.com, and they can decide for themselves. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. <clears throat> now, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you, and since I don't follow horror movies, I'm only, you know, 80% able to follow along, which, if you have ever followed our relationship, is about 50% more than I'm usually able to follow along when you start talking about things. Fair. Um, but you were talking about how, you know, you can kind of respect it, but you're wondering who wrote this, who did this, all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's it's not good, but you watched it. And for a second, I actually thought you were describing Monday Night Raw, and I just missed the segue. Because <laughs> a lot of those same descriptions you could apply to Monday Night Raw. It, it, you're wondering who wrote it. Wait, it's, wait a second, wait a second. That is the slow clap neighborhood. The slow clap. I just want to step back for a moment. Just bask in the glory of that segue. Why, thank you. All right, thank you. All right. Back to you, DC. You're wondering who wrote it. It's You can't call it good, but you watch because you're at least interested and in some of the things you can appreciate. That seems like what Monday Night Raw has been. You know, the ratings took another dip, and I don't want to talk about the ratings anymore. You and I have talked about the ratings multiple times. But there's so many things to say about them. There's really not. Um, but... I've noticed it myself because I'm kind of, you know, now I'm in the habit, I'm back at school, so I'm in the habit of waking up at 4, 4.30 in the morning, Tuesday mornings, and catching up on Raw. Although I did, I think I fixed my internet issues, so I should be able to 
now be able to stream and watch it live some days. But I'm not as I'm kind of I find myself skipping through things more and more frequently. Are you having that same? I know you've been having DVR woes. Are you having that same issue? Watching? I'm honestly usually just not finishing the show. I watch until about the 10 o'clock hour. And that means that the only things I end up missing are usually a segment with the divas and then either John Cena or Seth Rollins, depending on who took the 10 o'clock hour, because they seem to just rotate back and forth. All right. I want to do a mailbag today. I want We've got four topics from four uh, neighborhood members, two that are regular and two I don't know that we've heard from before. Um, and one of them, at Brandon Mack, our, the resident newsman, our reporter over there at NewAgeInsiders.com. You can get all the news of the day by checking out Brandon's work. And Brandon wanted us to talk about Seth Rollins a little bit because Seth Rollins, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I'm pretty sure he's won for his last 17 matches. I don't know if that's televised or just in general. But our world heavyweight champion is losing... Time and time again, I think he lost to Kane. You know, we saw a free preview of their Hell in a Cell match, I suppose. Um, except instead of a cell, it was human bodies surrounding the ring, including Jack Swagger. It was nice to see he's still alive. I appreciate that. So what are your thoughts on the Seth Rollins booking? You, He's been champion now for six months, I think. He won it in April. It's now October. He's been champion for six months. How would you grade his title reign so far Doc Manson at Doc Manson I think I would grade it as uh pass I I don't yeah I don't know man it's it hasn't been great but it's been okay that's the riveting commentary you come to DDT wrestling for uh no but seriously Seth Rollins is very talented as a wrestler. They, I don't remember when this was, a month ago, two months ago, they did a show that was just like a Monday Night Raw that was just the Seth Rollins show. He showed up like in five different segments throughout the night. I think it might have been the same one where Edge and Christian showed up for that brief cameo. Uh, I like Seth Rollins well enough. He's a good wrestler. Was this the statue one? Was this Yeah, the one with the it might have been one of the ones with the statue, yeah. But... I, the dude can't carry a show. I really don't think putting him in five segments is overextending how much I want to see him. Um, especially if it's not in a wrestling capacity. I mean, you know, Night of Champions when he faced both John Cena and Sting, he gave us two hells of a great match. Although I think you probably would have to say that you no longer appreciate Seth Rollins. Um, in a wrestling capacity because he injures people. I remember you saying that about Ryback previously. So since Seth Rollins, you know, he, in all his major opponents that he's actually faced in the recent past, he's seriously injured them, you know, John Cena and Sting. I guess by default, um, you're going to clearly say that you don't like him as a wrestler. But, yeah, I don't know. He does put on entertaining matches. Uh, I don't know. Care to respond to any of my shots across the bow? Well, for one thing... Well, you're right. Seth Rollins has inadvertently, I'll grant you, caused injury to John Cena and to Sting. Well, aren't Uh, all injuries inadvertent? It depends on who you ask. Mm -hmm. Some, you know, you could argue that Vader in his prime wasn't maybe going out to hurt people, but he wasn't not, he wasn't holding back either, if you heard. Yeah, sure, I gotcha. 
the difference that I would make, and I don't want to go fall down your Ryback rabbit hole again, but that's the name of the band right there. Ryback rabbit hole. Uh, the difference between Ryback and Seth Rollins to me comes down to just in-ring talent. Seth Rollins is a supremely talented in-ring wrestler. Who injures people. Who has happened to injure people. Ryback is a, in my opinion, supremely untalented wrestler who happens to injure people. And I can give Seth Rollins a pass because of his talent level. I can't necessarily do that for Ryback. But regardless, I will agree with you on some things. You know, he's had a six-month reign. Um, I wouldn't say it's been a good reign. I wouldn't even say it's been, you know, if I had to grade it, I think I'd have to give it a C, you know. I mean, I have to say C for CM Punk, right? Because they're clearly giving him the back seat, just like they did with CM Punk as the champion. I think that they're just sort of just putting him in the background for the most part. And, I mean, they're doing a better job of giving him the spotlight than they ever did with CM Punk. But, you know, we're talking about Raws that periodically the 11 o'clock hour is the U.S. Uh, Open Championship match. So they're really maybe on a different scale, but they're still doing the same thing where they're giving the championship occasionally uh, the back seat. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, th- and I think when it comes to John Cena, who they've talked about it on other podcasts. I'm sure they've talked about it on NAI Pod. We've talked about it on Twitter. John Cena transcends the world title. John sure. Cena is a main event guy all on his own, in much the same way that Hulk Hogan was, or Steve Austin was, or any of those. Or Ryback. Guys. No. No, no, no. Yeah, even I won't argue for that one, actually. But you, you brought up an interesting point, which, which leads to a, another question you can avoid in some capacity. Um, you brought up that Seth Rollins isn't necessarily a guy that you can build a show around. So, you know, he's well, not, so he's not somebody you would want to see in five different segments a night. So my question to you is, who is the last person that you can remember wanting to see four or five times a night? Is there a guy, you know, are, are, are we asking for too much? Should we really be hoping for somebody that we see four or five times a night? You know, we see that Brock Lesnar Undertaker promo at one more time, and I'm going to throw myself out the window, which is nice because I live on the first floor and there's grass outside. But... Uh, yeah, I got yeah. you. I got you. Um, yeah, you know, I you're realistically, you are correct. There aren't many guys, or necessarily any, whom you could just off the top of your head say, "I want to see in five segments a night," especially five non wrestling segments. Right now, that said, I think the last time. I think the one person who I would say I would like to see in that capacity on the current roster is Dean Ambrose. And that's only because his character is um, unpredictable. He's always doing different things. And I think he has the potential to do enough original things in each of the segments that he's in Mm -hmm. that he could maintain the entertainment level. Like, I mean, when they had that brief run, Ambrose versus Rollins, uh, that was great stuff. I mean, him... You know, hiding in the boxes, popping out of the trunk, um, you know, attacking them with a hot dog cart, all that stuff. There was, I mean, a lot of it was Russell Silly, don't get me wrong, but that was entertaining stuff. Well, and if you go back to the height of the Attitude Era, which is what everybody refers to when we're talking about the the zenith of professional wrestling, Steve Austin... Zenith? 
Is that the wrong word? I think the zenith is like, you know, the trough, the absolute bottom. Hold on. Are we talking about the apex, perhaps? Ah, zenith, the highest point reached by a celestial or other object. Huh, okay, well, I'll give it to you. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Anyways. Score one DC. The apex, the zenith, the highest point was him, you know, hitting Vince McMahon in the head with a bedpan and Mick Foley showing up with a sock puppet. So Wrestle Silly is always going to be a big part. But I think what you said, you know, Dean Ambrose, I makes a great case. You make a great case for it. But he attacked them with the hot dog cart. It wasn't just Dean Ambrose. It was Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins and Kane. And that was probably the last time that you could build that storyline. You know, him randomly returning in a taxi cab at one point and showing up. I don't... Excuse me. I don't remember what event that was where he showed up in the taxi cab and ran down and attacked Seth Rollins. You know what the secret was to that being good television? It was just having an interesting protagonist that was involved in the storyline. Um, right now, I'm interested in Kane. I think the considerate corporate Kane thing is, you know, it's highly entertaining, but I also don't expect it to really go anywhere. I expect this to just sort of be a static representation of Kane until at some point you know he reverts back to simply being the demon uh, I have no hope for this actually you know going anywhere it's entertaining as heck right here but you know this is it what do you think the percentage chances that Kane can win the world title at Hell in a Cell zero I would I would say 15 percent yeah, I, I, I mean, think, that's that's essentially zero, but sure, I'll give it to you. I think there's an outside chance that Kane could win this, depending on what they feel, you know, depending on how they feel about Rollins, how WWE itself would grade uh, Seth Rollins' championship reign. I think you could see Kane have one more title run, you know. I think at one point I said he, you know, wins the title, loses it to Brock Lesnar, and WrestleMania 32 is Lesnar versus the Brothers of Destruction whether it's a double retirement match or something. You know, again, that's just random fantasy booking there. <clears throat> but I think there's a chance. But I, I'm i saying there's an 85% chance, so there's an overwhelming chance that Seth Rollins wins, in which case corporate Kane is fired, and then it's just, like you said, now we're just back to Demon Kane, which is a shame because, you know, while the double personality thing, I won't say it's where it's getting old, but it's, you know, it, we're kind of seeing the same thing over and over again, like... Yeah. I enjoyed him on the conference call with Hunter and Stephanie, but at the same time, I wasn't making sure to watch every single segment with Kane because he it's showed fun. But at this point, it's rote. That's a good way of putting it. About it, it's it's kind of it's cookie cutter a little yeah. bit. Yeah. All right. So we both think Seth Rollins' reign has been okay. You know, I I'm not sure. He I would like had, him. He hasn't had any good opponents. Like, That's outside true. of Dean Ambrose, which was only a flash in a pan, like, I don't... Roman Reigns is not interesting, I don't think. Well, and a he feud against John Cena is not interesting. Well, and that's it. You know, if you look back, if I, we went back and checked the paper, you know, he feuded with Cena, he feuded with Sting, now he's feuding with Kane. I don't remember, did he wrestle Roman Reigns at any point, besides pinning him at WrestleMania? Did they I want to say that when he came back... From the hernia thing, they did something, but I could be wrong. 
I could be wrong. I just remember Dean Ambrose kind of took over for Roman Reigns when he left for the cert- for the hernia thing. Mm-hmm. I'm just checking right now to see. Or was the hernia thing before WrestleMania? Extreme Rules, which uh, is the pay-per-view after, he wrestled Randy Orton. Payback, he had a fatal four-way with Reigns, Ambrose, and Orton, which is sad because I don't even remember that. Mm-hmm. I have no knowledge of that. Then we get to... Elimination Chamber, which, and you know, and again, I don't remember what he did there. Then he wrestled, it was Dean Ambrose, and, you know, so he's he hasn't had, like you said, there hasn't been a great protagonist. Dean Ambrose, I think, could be that guy. It was but, working. But, you know, he's, to make another not as successful segue, you mentioned the word apex before. Dean Ambrose and Randy Orton, the apex predator, are wrestling on the kickoff show for Hell in a Cell. They're facing Luke Harper and Beef Stroganoff on the pre-show. I sent this out on Twitter, and I don't think anyone saw it. When was the last time Randy Orton wrestled on the kickoff show? And I I don't know that he ever did. I'm sure that maybe he had, like, a dark match or something. Have they officially called it the pre-show, the kickoff? They're calling it the kickoff match. It's on WWE.com. Well, the only reason why I ask this is because with SummerSlam, you know, they had a four-hour show. And a four-hour show doesn't actually mean anything on the network, right? You can call it a four-hour pay-per-view. Biggest show of the year. Matches too big for three hours. Whatever. But, I mean, all you're really doing is taking the pre-show and saying it's part of the official show. All you're doing is changing what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, kickoff, pre-show, whatever, I do think it's a little odd that they would put Randy Orton on something that they're referring to in that way. But, I mean, when do you think that they could just, in the near future, go to four-hour um, events on a regular basis? I think their big, sh- you know, their big shows, the SummerSlam, Survivor Series, Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, maybe even Money in the Bank, <clears throat> I think will eventually be four-hour shows. I don't will WrestleMania be five hours because it's got to be the biggest show of the year? God, I hope not. And we've even seen the last two or three pay-per-views, they're three-hour or four-hour shows, except they end at 10.45. So yeah. they're, you know, two-hour and 45-minute shows. <clears throat> and again, for nine ninety nine, they can be as long as they want. They might start, you know, narrowing it down to two hours, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for some of these. But I mean, I'd rather see two hours of Raw on a weekly basis with a four hour event every month uh, than continue on with three hour Raws. Oh, I would agree wholeheartedly. I think the three hour Raw is making it very hard. You know, there's all sorts of filler. There's all sorts of, you know. Which is ridiculous because they've got so much talent on that roster that they legitimately could fill three hours without filler. The problem is they don't have anybody to write it. I mean, they do have writers, but expecting that much material on a weekly basis, like, apparently is not realistic because they're not able to do it, right? I've said this before. They seem to have a group of writers that writes two or three stories, and then there's probably one guy who writes everything else. You know, Can I so- ask you a question? Of course. I mean, this is a little tangential, but it's related. Why is it that the authority is only involved in the main event picture? Why is it the authority ignores everybody else on the show? I mean, are you asking in a kayfabe manner or are you asking honestly? 
uh, both. I mean, what's what is the reasoning within you know within the story, and what is the reasoning behind the scenes? Because if you have an authority figure like that, like for them to only t- put be touching at one part of this show, doesn't it just give you the impression? Because they're, they're, they're here. Let me rephrase. They are presented as, you know, the authority of the WWE. They are guiding this ship. But they apparently think the only thing that matters is the heavyweight title. So, isn't the company just reinforcing the idea that nothing else on the show matters? If you look at it from that angle, yeah, sure. I think what it is, is from a kayfabe perspective, they're characters you know they're a part of the show they're on the wwe superstar page and so they're on they're focused on the main event they're focused on their world heavyweight champion and we've seen stephanie mcmahon showed up uh right before the uh nikki bella won the or beat the record or set the record or whatever that was and you know put herself in that so they show up very rarely but i think they are solely focused it seems on the world title. Does it make a lot of sense in a kayfabe manner? No. But at the same time, do I want my show built around Triple H and Stephanie McMahon? No. Do I want to see them coming out and announcing, okay, Kalisto's going to take on Kevin Owens for the Intercontinental title? No. I don't know that I would want to see them any more than I do. But from a storyline perspective, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But if we wanted to start talking about the storyline things that don't make a lot of sense, we're going to be here till midnight and you've got yeah. a horror movie you need to watch. So, I mean, I mean, at the same time, they're supposed to be the general managers of the show. It made sense when Bischoff was around or Teddy Long or, you know, Vicky Guerrero, whoever, to have somebody there for people to go to who were ostensibly making matches for everybody. Because right now, it just seems like, other than at the top, all these other things are just happening because people want to fight each other like I'm fine with that but it seems like for remember for a little while I did a little storyline I think it was right after Bischoff left where the inmates were running the asylum isn't that just what's going on on a weekly basis on the entire rest of the card well, the inmates was, are just deciding on what what happens that seemed to be you know I think Dean Ambrose said at the beginning of Raw that the inmates were running the asylum despite the fact that corporate Kane was there yeah <clears throat> but I you know I don't I think they're trying to I don't know if there's ever going to be a time where there's not an on-screen authority figure. You know, they've always had, even when Jack Tunney was the president or Gorilla Monsoon was the president, there's always been some sort of storyline guy in charge. But I think they're trying, it certainly seems like they're trying to pull away from that a little bit, which does mean that these matches are being made, you know, backstage or, you know, obviously we're supposed to assume that, you know, the Dudleys went to Triple H and Stephanie and said, we'd like to face New Day again at Hell in a Cell. If you could arrange that, that would be great. But I don't know. That's an interesting question. Another interesting question Uh came from uh, Jennifer Nalon at J.S. Nalon, N-A-I, conveniently enough, N-A-I-L-L-O-N. She wanted us to talk about the... Since John Cena seemingly is going to be taking some time off. That's what all the rumors are saying. How would you, Doc Manson, uh, book the United States title 
while Cena's gone. You know, how would you take the belt off of him, if you would at all? How would you, who would you put the belt on for the next couple of months while John Cena, you know, finds his smile or whatever else he's taking time off for? Any thoughts on the United States title there, sir? I think my answer realistically depends completely on John Cena, how much time he's taking off and why he's taking it off. Um, if it's the sort of thing where he could still show up to an event once a month and defend that thing, yeah, keep it on him. Whatever. What difference does it make? What would I like to see? I would like to see him do this U.S. Open Championship and build it towards you know, a culminating event where somebody on the roster actually takes that championship from him and, you know, get in the process gets the rub of having beat John Cena for the championship. But you know what? That was the story they were telling before Night of Champions. And even though they've gone right back to the U.S. Open, I don't really feel like that story has picked up where it left off so I don't feel like there's any momentum in there anymore so even that I don't really think is an ideal conclusion to the US Open Championship storyline I think they've already missed the mark on that they've they've waited too long to do anything of interest with it Um, so frankly he could just lose it at any time I really don't think it matters from all the reports Cena's a little burned out which when you have the life of John Cena fulfilling wishes, powerlifting, and wrestling all the time, I can understand there being a little bit of burnout. Um, so I would assume if he were to, let's say, he drops the title at Hell in a Cell, I'm assuming he would take the rest of October, November, December, <clears throat> and he would either be a surprise entrant or he would be an announced entrant for the Royal Rumble. Because I think there's a very good chance that John Cena could win the Royal Rumble and wind up wrestling in the main event at WrestleMania 32 in front of 100,000 people. But, um, so, you know, I do think there's, there's, it's not as exciting as it was before. I wonder if part of that has to do with the fact that Cena's burnt out. You know, he, maybe he's not as engaged, although he certainly did find I enjoyed watching Cena versus Ziggler. yeah, it was a good match, I guess. That you know, it was good. I enjoyed him with Big I e have and nothing Woods. invested in Dolph Ziggler anymore. I don't no. know if you want to speak to that at all. But I I used to like Dolph Ziggler, but at this point he's just one of those guys that I he goes out there, he puts on a good match all the time, but mm-hmm. there is absolutely nothing exciting to me about him. I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't think he's ever going to you know, ascend to a higher plane than he currently exists at. This is Dolph Ziggler, and this is all he will ever be. I think if he turned heel, which at this point now I almost think that's done with too, you know. I don't know how much about the Rusev engagement you want to talk about, but he could have turned heel at any point in the last six weeks, and I think people would have gotten behind him a little more. I don't think Dolph Ziggler's ever going to even remotely scratch the surface of the main event picture again, but I think he could win a couple more Intercontinental or U.S. titles. I certainly wouldn't have minded it if Dolph Ziggler had turned heel. You know, he raked the eyes at one point during that John Cena match. If he had cheated and won and been U.S. champion, I would have been all for it, and he would have, you know, he could have been a heel holding that, you know, holding that title. I would have had no problem with that if that's the way they went. Um, you know, as a face who's just kind of being a cool kid, because if I had to define his character right now, he's a cool kid. I have little interest in him, but 
I enjoy his matches when I watch them. Back to Cena, you know, I would have loved to see... I The belief I have is he's going to have another open challenge at Hell in a Cell. I'm presuming he's going to lose it. I don't know who you bring out, you know. Rusev is an option if they wanted to salvage his career, considering he lost to your best friend Ryback there on Monday Night Raw. But, um, you know, he hasn't wrestled Kofi Kingston yet. I was hoping so, that New Day thing. Let's go back to Ruru for a second. Ruru! So is he just going to come out with Lana, and they're just going to pretend like nothing happened? Is that what they're going to do, realistically? Yes, and that probably is what should happen. I don't think we should see, you know... If they wanted to go this route, you take Rusev off television because he's as low as you can possibly go. Whatever the opposite of a zenith is, uh, you know, he's as low as you can possibly get right now. He's losing to Ryback. He got slapped by Summer Rae, who stormed off and headed into her own obscurity. So put him off TV. And when Lana's healthy again, have them come back and, you know, as an item. And yeah, I would, you know, the whole love rhombus thing was interesting for a couple of weeks, but then they just beat it to death. I would much rather them just forget everything ever happened and said, you know, they they patch things up off camera. They're, you know, they're engaged. They're happy. You see a new side of Rusev. We see a, you know, more crowd-friendly Lana and they move on. Do you want to see some sort of storyline wrap up to this i know you hate no no i know i I just know you hate when storylines are just forgotten is this an exception um well you know honestly it's not an exception they've actually addressed it right they said that he and lana got engaged summer ray came out on raw at the end of that match called him a liar and a cheat and slapped him like we actually got more of a payoff from the love rhombus than we did from John Cena's first open U.S. championship um, storyline. They actually addressed it. They didn't just sweep it under the rug. They didn't just, you know, they actually fulfilled, they ended the storyline they were telling. They did. They did. So, that said, I don't never need to see any more of it. And although I'm in maybe, ex- I won't say excited, but... I'm glad maybe that, you know, Rusev and Lana can go back to doing what they were doing because they were solid. The problem with it is, just like John Cena trying to just pick up again with the U.S. Open Championship after winning it back from Rollins, they can't just pick it up again. They have to address it somehow. They just can't come out again with Rusev as the Bulgarian brute and Lana the Ravishing Russian suddenly, you know, working together again with no with no other explanation. Um, that's just spinning your wheels, man. And you can't go back to there in good faith without doing something. Now, that said, do I want to see Rusev come back as a face? And, I mean, that's probably what would happen, right? Because Lana is super over with the crowd, or at least she was at one point. I don't know if she is anymore. They they certainly misspent a lot of that goodwill she had built up with the fans. At least I think they did. Um, So, I mean, what do they really do with them? Do they come back as as a face couple? Because I don't think that dynamic really works for Rusev. They'll, that'll turn them into a comedy act, which is not good for his long-term career either. I don't... But you can't just go back to being that non-unstoppable heel that he was. I, I mean, what do you do with him? Where does he go? Real, I, what can I, they do with Rusev and Lana? I would do exactly what you're saying, is I would take him off screen, <clears throat> bring him back 
maybe in time for the Rumble. You know, he's he's the kind of guy that he shows up at the Rumble with Lana. He's going to get a huge pop. If he tosses out a whole bunch of people, he's going to get an even bigger pop. Uh, I drop the national stuff. Get rid of the flag. He can ride a tank if he wants to. He could do that all the time. <laughs> but he gets rid of the tank, and he just becomes this internationally gifted wrestler. You know, one of my favorite members of the neighborhood. What if what, what if he comes back with a pickup truck, cowboy boots, and a hat? No. Howdy, partner. I'm Rusev. What do you think? The Bulgarian cowboy. Uh huh. He watched. He went away. He watched one too many John Wayne films, and now he wants to relive the Alamo every night of his life. What do you think? If he wears a coonskin cap instead of a cowboy hat, I'm in. Oh, okay. Done. Done. Let's let's sell this. Davy Crockett meet Davy Rusev. Uh huh. Perfect. No, but I would. He's an internet. You know, I was talking about Josh Petrie at jpetrie38. <clears throat> he and I have this idea for this world elite group where you get guys like Cesaro who's doing nothing, Rusev, Jack Swagger. You get all of these guys with serious yeah. Jack Swagger. I'm just throwing serious in international clout. That Jack Swagger. He's got amateur wrestling skills. He's an actual good wrestler. You know, I'm I'm all for a stable of guys. In the 80s, there was a group called the Varsity Club in WCW. They wore their college wrestling singlets and no it didn't go anywhere. But I bring back Rusev. I know you hate the idea. That's fine. That's fine. You can hate the idea all you want. Ryback wouldn't even come close to being world elite. Are you kidding me? He would eat them alive. And then he would be asking for you to feed him more. That's sadly, sadly, probably true. So I would bring him back. And I don't want him being a face necessarily. I don't want him going out and cheering and having his own... He goes out and gets on another undefeated streak, but this time, instead of Lana being his controller, instead of him ordering her around, they're a couple. They're an on-screen couple, and he, you know, holds the ropes for her every now and then, but he, you know, and she's his, you know, thing. if he's down, she can bring him back up. She cheers for him, and he sees her, and he comes, he fights back, he rusevs Yo, up. Adrian, yo! Yeah, yo, Adrian, yeah, 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 you know what I mean? Hey, I got a joke for you. I'm, no? I'm, if he wants to, I'd rather have Sylvester Stallone Rusev than Cowboy Rusev, but... Fair, fair enough. But, that, you know, I think that's what I do. He has the in-ring ability to put on great matches, you know. I think you do something with that, but it's it's a big uphill battle. What they've done with him over the last six to eight months... You know, he was the United States champion feuding with John Cena. And we can talk about, you know, the curse of John Cena at some point if, you know, because guys... The curse of John Cena or simply the scourge of John Cena? You would have to give me the difference in terms. Yeah, well, whatever. Go on, go on. So, that's what I would do with Rusev. If he wanted to answer the open challenge, restart a feud with Cena, take him out, win the U.S. title... Again, drop the Bulgarian thing. I'd be okay with that as well. So, but it's it'll be an interesting thing to see how they treat that because both he and Ziggler have a lot of work to do to get back even into the mid card scene. Um, all right, another question here on the DDT mailbag. Adam, NAI super fan and honorary staff member. Adam at Adam K NAI wants us to talk a little bit about the crowds. 
you know, the raw Chicago crowd was a little, you know, chanting just for chanting's sake and kind of, they called, they chanted boring during Roman Reigns and Beef Stroganoff. I don't blame them. It's kind of they hard also, to have a... They also, I think, chanted boring during Roman Reigns' promo. So... Your thoughts on the crowds, you know, are these crowds, you know, you you either have a super quiet crowd or you have a crowd that's chanting that doesn't necessarily go along with the storyline. How do you feel about the crowds? How much do you take the crowd into effect when you're watching wrestling? Does it affect your experience at all? I mean, it definitely affects my experience because I think I said, you know, that one time we talked about Ring of Honor that I definitely had a harder time being invested in the show with such a small audience. There is something to be getting caught up in that cheering that only thousands of people, you know, simultaneously getting into something can provide. And there's something to be said for being swept up into the moment. Um, so, yeah, definitely. Uh, but that said, I don't know. Uh, WWE does a lot of selective audio processing, especially when things end up on TV. So, uh, can you expand? Can you expand on that a little bit? Sure. Sometimes the audience is chanting things that the WWE doesn't want to hear. I've heard on television, so they kill the mics that are lighting up the room. Or sometimes, I think on SmackDown, probably more than anything else, sometimes they'll pump through things that weren't actually happening in the arena. Um, cheers when they want somebody to be cheered, that sort of thing. They do that all the time, and. So when I'm just sort of watching something on my television, uh, yeah, I don't put a lot of stock in it. It's one thing to be there and actually, you know, feel the crowd or not. But, I mean, on television, it doesn't... I don't know. Don't get me wrong. I mean, if a crowd is just completely chanting boring, there's no way you can't hear that. And it maybe does affect your investment into a match. But, honestly... I think most of the time when the crowd chants that something's boring, they're right. I don't disagree with them that often. So, it, yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't have a big problem with it one way or the other. I think my big problem with crowds, and you're right, they, you know, your selective audio processing or however you described it, they, <clears throat> they'll mute the things they don't want to hear, and I do think they'll pump it in, but that's been happening since, you know, WCW was pumping in Goldberg chants well before Goldberg got huge. You know, they were, they wanted that to happen with, you know, so WWE must be pumping in those Feed Me More chants. That's the only thing that makes sense. But they do control that, and I, and part of me feels like that's their right. It's their product if they can, you know, adjust it. <clears throat> they can it's it's hard when so much of wrestling i feel is organically created you know if the wrestler if the crowd really is supporting this one wrestler and then wwe's like nah we don't have a storyline for them and then they mute the sound on that that hurts but on the other hand i hate my biggest problem with crowds is when they chant something that has nothing to do with what's going on you know, they'll randomly start chanting ole, 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 and I'm like, Sammy, it's not even, Kevin Owens isn't even out. You know, if yeah. Kevin Owens was out, I could understand it, but they'll do it randomly in the middle of, like, an Usos versus Kadaro tag team match. So, like, when I'm they like, start chanting for JBL or something, that's kind of stuff you're talking about? Yes, when they just, when it's, when it's, you know, a dozen people in one section who decide, hey, let's all chant, 
you know, this, and then they get the whole crowd picks up on it, and now you're hearing the crowd chanting this thing that has nothing to do with what's going on in the ring. I don't really have a problem with that because I think sometimes that's just a creative way of that crowd expressing that they're bored. I interpret those usually as the equivalent of a boring chant, except the crowd you know, isn't even going to acknowledge what's actually happening. They're going to redirect themselves somewhere else. So, I mean, usually that's tied to some pretty poor television. So I find it hard to fault the crowd for that behavior. It, I, it, to me, it's, it's the blame's on all sides. It's WWE's fault for not providing a product that's captivating enough. But also, you know, most of this crowd is either taking pictures of what they're seeing or video of what they're seeing or tweeting about what they're seeing. So they're not, you know, if you're going to go to a live event, and I don't go to a lot of live events. I think the last one I went to, I went with you. Wow. And yeah, so we're talking probably eight, ten years ago, JBL was a wrestler because I remember annoying people by cheering for his entrance. But... You know, if you're going to go to a live event, I feel you have a responsibility to buy into that show as much as you can, given the storylines. And if they're giving you junk, if they're giving you, you know, the Bellas winning not one but two matches on Raw, I can understand kind of being taken out of that a little bit. But it is not your job to come up with a clever little chant to, you know, if if I would rather, I think. If they're bored, I would rather either have them do nothing, or, if I'm being honest, I would rather hear a boring chant than a ole, ole, ole chant or a, you know. The only thing I want to say about that also, though, is I've been to a couple of live shows where, like, I was there, I was in the moment, the crowd was going nuts, we were screaming, yelling, hooting and hollering, I really felt like we had a great time, super vocal, and, like, it was a great show. And then I've gone home, you know, onto uh, the wrestling websites to read, like, about that show afterwards. And you'll hear people say, oh, the crowd was dead tonight. And I was like, no, it wasn't. I was there, man. We were going nuts. We were going crazy. We're hooting and hollering. Everybody was having a good time. It's just, I sometimes I feel like, I don't know if it's just the acoustics of an arena, how things are mic'd that night, or what. But sometimes I, I honestly think... Because I've had this experience of having a great time in person and really feeling like the crowd was involved, and that didn't translate to television, apparently. So it's a hard thing to measure, uh, you know, in a sort of quantitative way. Well, and again, you you mentioned it yourself with the selective audio. I think WWE, for a lot of shows, turns down the crowd a little mm. bit. Which is probably why you can wind up hearing, and it also has to do with mic placement and all of that, but you know, <clears throat> you'll hear that one kid in the John Cena match who happens to be sitting right near the microphone, so the crowd seems dead except for this one voice going, let's go Cena! <clears throat> so, that hurt. Ow. Um, <laughs> I do, th- I think they kind of tone it down because, you know, they said the Raw Buffalo crowd was dead, and I honestly don't pay a whole lot of attention to the crowd a lot of the time I'm too busy doing other things but I don't know I didn't hear anybody from Buffalo but I have to imagine that the crowd wasn't dead it was just it sounded dead from us and I think that might be WWE turning the volume down a little bit so I don't know you know what the answer is I think it all comes back to 
compelling television, if they write compelling stories and have great matches, I think fans will get into it a little bit. But I do think we have to consider social media as a factor. You know, if we if I went to a wrestling show, I feel as chief of staff as the New Age Insiders and one of the hosts of the DDT Wrestling Podcast, I would feel compelled to tweet during it, which immediately takes me out of the show. Because now I'm not going to be cheering because I've got my phone out. Mm. So... All right, we've got one last question on the mailbag. I don't know how much either of us know about this or, truthfully, and I apologize, Cody Benoit, who sent this in, care. But at uh, Cody Benoit, at Coach B 72 uh, Seth Rollins was on SportsCenter a day or two ago. I don't know if you knew that. What's SportsCenter? <clears throat> ESPN, you know, sports, like baseball, basketball, these things that you and I don't play. I've never heard of them. It's kind of like Ultimate Frisbee or Volleyball, but, you know, more men play that. Hmm. All right. We'll talk about this volleyball of yours. So, Seth Rollins was on SportsCenter, the ESPN's flagship show, their sports news show. Brock Lesnar was on ESPN television. You know, so Cody wanted us to talk about... Apparently, SportsCenter is going to be doing weekly wrestling coverage in some form or fashion. I think part of that is because former WWE star Jonathan Coachman is part of ESPN right now. How do you feel about WWE having a more mainstream uh, thing? You know, WEEI, one of Boston's premier sports radio stations, now has the New Age Insiders as their official wrestling podcast. Are, are we entering a more mainstream area or era? Excuse me, a more mainstream era in pro wrestling, or is it just you know what? What do you think about that? If you have any thoughts at all, and you can just say no, if you don't care. Um, I mean, it's good, I guess. Mainstream coverage for a hobby that I enjoy is great. Uh, it's no secret that they're struggling to maintain. Well, I don't know if they're struggling to maintain their audience, but my interpretation is that they're struggling to make new fans. But again, I'm basing that off of ratings, and as we've talked about, I don't think ratings are really a good metric anymore. They seem as popular as ever when you consider like their YouTube channel and things like that. So bottom line is, yeah, more mainstream um, coverage is always going to be good. And I will say that at least this doesn't seem desperate. Um, this seems like a good home. It's a sports show. And I know some people say, oh, well, wrestling, you know, I don't know if you know this. Uh, I don't even know this, DC. Have uh, you heard this before? But uh, I don't even know this, but wrestling is fake. I don't know if you heard that. It's fake. So it should, surely shouldn't be on a show with sports because sports are real and wrestling's fake. I don't know if you, I don't even know that. Your, your nerd sounds a lot like Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, well, you know, mumbles a lot, but you know, I mean, that's that. That's just it. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't buy that viewpoint. Um, Seth Rollins being on Sports Center, I think, is actually a great example. This man, I don't care how you cut it. I don't, I don't care if you want to say that wrestling is choreographed, you know, scripted outcomes, whatever. Um, he's an athlete. Dude is an athlete, and I think that's what you should be showcasing on something like. Sports Center. If I knew what Sports Center was, I would assume that's what you should showcase on it. And have you, so have you it ever seems watched, appropriate. Have you ever watched Sports Center in your life? Not even a second of it. I don't think. Besides, you know, maybe being in a like hotel lobby having breakfast, and it happens to be on TV. 
Yeah, I don't think I've ever ever seen it. No. Okay. I don't. I have no idea what it's like. Right. But 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 honestly, again, it doesn't come off as desperate. Now, then you want to talk about other sorts of mainstream coverage. Like, I know Jon Stewart, for instance, is a big wrestling fan. He probably was stoked to get to do what he did, his involvement. But, I mean, that just kind of came off on television uh, poorly. Like, him running into the ring, the chair shot thing. Uh, you, you know, he came across as a celebrity guest. And, I mean, he's a bigger celebrity name the most so i guess i can't really fault the wwe for trying to get him on the show then you start talking about like the guy from arrow and even like lower grade celebrities than that and i'm just kind of like does any of this really matter does any of this really get you mainstream attention the answer is probably not much but again in this instance asking me specifically about sports center yeah a lot of people probably watch the sports center thing and it's appropriate it's thematically consistent um so yeah i don't know it seems like a good deal all around Power to him. I think wrestling has always had an on-again, off-again relationship with mainstream. You know, Hulk Hogan was Mr. Mainstream in the 80s. Yep. And, you know, I suppose technically, by definition, he's been mainstream in 2015, too, though for a completely different reason. Um, you know, Bret Hart was on Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman at one point. You know, uh, I remember Diesel, Kevin Nash being on Regis and Kathy Lee, Shawn Michael, you know, they, Pamela Anderson and Jenny McCarthy were part of WrestleMania 11, which was the only WrestleMania in Connecticut, by the way. Um, so there's always been some sort of mainstream audience here. You know, I think we're talking about two different things. Brock Lesnar, much like the John Cena, eclipses WWE. Brock Lesnar is a superstar. He's a former football player, UFC champion, all of that kind of thing. So having him there was a big deal because he's just a personality in the world of sports. Seth Rollins, I will not disagree with you at all. Supreme athlete, but he's there because he's the WWE champion. If he didn't have that title, he wouldn't have been on that show. But that's just what happens. I think it's great that they do a wrestling. You know, you've got a 24-hour sports network and there are going to be times when you know your four major sports baseball basketball football and hockey they aren't all on you know baseball's wrapping up basketball hasn't started yet football still in the early parts of the season hockey's still in the early parts of the season if it's even started yet so i can understand wanting to fill some time by talking about wrestling and so i hope that continues i think whether it's jonathan coachman's influence or not i think that's great but i don't see this as being you know a huge boon for them. I don't think it's going to do anything great for them. It's just something that's happening. So, sure. <clears throat> I'm okay with it. I don't have cable and I haven't watched ESPN in a couple of years, so it's not going to matter to me personally. But if you like ESPN and are going to, you know, mark out a little bit when Seth Rollins shows up, more power to you. Um, all right. We're kind of winding down here on DDT Wrestling. I almost called it the Neighborhood Podcast. That's going to be something I'm working on for the next few weeks. Uh, we're recording on Wednesday. NXT is happening right now. And while I try to live a hashtag spoiler-free lifestyle, if we were recording on Thursday or Friday, we'd be talking about the new number one contender for Finn Balor's NXT title. Do you know who that is? Uh, I do not know who that is. Hold on, let me see if I can guess. Um, how were they determining number one contender? I believe they're having a battle royal tonight, and the winner battle is royal. the number one contender. Hmm. Well, I mean, my short list is Samoa Joe, 
Baron Corbin. And let's see who else is there. Um, I mean, I guess I could see. Uh, I don't. I don't know what Sami Zayn is doing if he's coming back soon or not. Um, and let's see. I'm trying to think of who was on Takeover. You have uh, maybe Apollo Cruz. Uh, that could be it too. But that's Apo- that's it. Apollo Cruz is it? Apollo Cruz, according to what I saw on the Twitterverse, is the number hey. one contender to Finn Balor's title. Which, <coughs> excuse me. Oh my! Goodness. Didn't see that really coming. But I mean, they've been building him since his debut. I mean, so mm. it's real quick. But I mean, the dude's talented. On one hand. And I'm not gonna, you know, I didn't get a lot of feedback on my rant last week. I don't think I'm not a big ranter. I'm sorry. If you want to rant, rant about, I I talked a little bit about the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. I don't even know if you could classify it as a rant, but I talked about my disappointment with it being used to not even further singles feuds. But you expected it to be Samoa Joe, and it wasn't. Which I'm I'm happy it's not so predictable. You know, if Samoa Joe had won that battle royal, I think we'd have all been like, well, yeah, okay, great. So I'm happy right, for that. Right, that some predictable television for the next few weeks. So, finish. you know, so I, I'm excited. Again, I haven't seen the battle royal because it's literally happening right now. Um, so I'm not sure, you know, where they go from here, what this means for Finn Balor, you know, and and whether this is going to be a one-shot deal if Apollo Crews is getting fast-tracked. You know, again, obviously a supreme athlete, I haven't seen a whole lot of character development from Apollo Crews, but I guess that's okay. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. It's something new and different. Um, so, you, you know, are you excited? The next takeover, I believe, is going to be in December from the United Kingdom. I think they're doing a London takeover. I know William Regal's going, and there's rumor that he'll wrestle a retirement match. I'm not sure if I believe that because he looks in no condition to wrestle. He looks kind of gaunt. Um, but your thoughts on NXT? I know we we talked about TakeOver, but anything on your mind? Apollo Crews, you know, the VOD Villains as tag champs, Bailey as your women's champion. And again, you can say no. The only we- thing on my mind from NXT remains Asuka. She's... She's pretty amazing. I will She's give you that. always on my mind. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think it's kind of cool they went with Apollo Crews, if that's the case. Like you said, um, it's more exciting maybe than Samoa Joe. Although, you know, honestly, I want to see Samoa Joe get his due in this company. I, I honestly think Samoa Joe is one of the best professional wrestlers in the world today. Although, I don't think you'd know it from his NXT run. Um so I'd really like to see him go somewhere or do something for the mm-hmm. WWE. But, you know, getting something new in there. And, and so television for the next few weeks maybe is not quite as predictable as it might have been otherwise. Hey, yeah, I'm all for it. That, that, that sounds great. Perhaps we'll get a maybe triple, th- you know, Apollo Crews is the number one contender. Perhaps Samoa Joe will find his way in there as well. We could wind up with a triple threat match heading into TakeOver. I'm certainly not going to turn down Apollo Crews, Samoa Joe, Finn Balor in a triple threat. That certainly would work for me. My biggest thing in NXT, and it's been the same thing I've been talking about for weeks and months in NXT, is the curious case of Tyler Breeze. There's nothing nothing questionable about what's going on with Tyler Breeze. Where is he going? You know, somebody said... I don't remember. Somebody showed me some picture that they said was official, which is so obviously not. It's not even funny. 
But, um, you know, if William Regal's going to have a retirement match, could Tyler Breeze be his opponent? I would certainly be all for that. But I don't know. I'm not sure Tyler what to Breeze make of Tyler. I know. Is, uh, go for he's it. the mid-card jobber of NXT. That's all he's ever going to be. And, you know, I have no problem with that. He's loved by the crowd, and he has he's a good, solid competitor. He is. I mean, we've been comparing him to Dolph Ziggler for a long time, but, I mean, he's the Dolph Ziggler of NXT. He's solid. He's there. And they need those guys. There's nothing wrong with that. And I just, honestly, you put him up to the main roster, and the dude's a one-trick pony. All he's got is his entrance. Uh, I'd rather him not go down that route. We've seen so many guys go down that route and fall away to obscurity. There's no reason to do that to Tyler Breeze. Let him be successful where he is. But is he being successful? Well, as successful as he's going to be. So have him go to have him remain in NXT, beat some lower card guys like Bull Dempsey, for example, but then lose to all of their big stars. That's I mean, sooner or later I think NXT is gonna have to get a mid card belt, and he's a perfect guy to hold that. The network title, I believe, is what the neighborhood has called it. They would like, you know, because WCW had a TV title, ECW had a TV title. I I'm going to say this one thing, and then I think we're going to wrap it up for the week because you've got a horror movie to watch, and my throat's about to literally catch on fire. Um, I think I meant to ask you this last week, and I forgot. Sasha Banks and Bailey, are they the RVD and Jerry Lynn of women's wrestling? Because, again, I'm not sure if you've watched the Iron Woman match yet, and you're shaking your head no. But the beginning minute or two of that match had a lot of what made RVD and Jerry Lynn great. They had the, you know, near fall, like the 15 near falls in a two-minute period kind of thing. And as I'm watching that, I'm thinking in my head, you mentioned how RVD and Jerry Lynn was one of your ways into wrestling or ECW because the matches were so good. So... Do you think we could see that? Do you think in 10 years, 15 years, we're going to look back and Sasha and Bailey are going to be what brought women's wrestling to new heights, or is that just going to be Asuka? I don't know. I honestly don't know. It's hard to predict. It's hard to foresee a future where women's wrestling remains relevant enough for us to look back favorably on this time. I hope I have to eat those words. I hope that's wrong. But you have to admit what's going on right now in the women's division yeah, it's a bit of a revolution. It's a bit of a renaissance, maybe. But it's also abnormal. And it's not proven that this is going to bear out over the long term yet. I'm hopeful they're making all the right moves. But I don't think that's a question you can answer until there's a solid pedigree, until we're actually down the line and there's something to look back on. I'm not sure there's going to be any reason to look back yet. Well, I've just written a note. Mid-October 2025. <laughs> when we're entering our 10th year of doing this podcast mm-hmm. in our 40s, mm. we'll have this conversation, and I'll make a note of this to remember. You know, And I'm going to say, Sasha, who? Oh, I think we're just going to end there, because now Doc's got the hate, and that's what he's looking for. Embrace the hate, Doc Manson. That's right. <clears throat> his name is Doc Manson. You can find him on Twitter, at Doc Manson. You can find his wonderful writing at bmoviegeek.com, and if he can ever remember his password, perhaps on newageinsiders.com as well. 
My name is DC Matthews. I'm the chief of staff of the New Age Insiders. I haven't written in a while. Hopefully tomorrow I'm going to fix that. I'll find something to write about. I got a couple ideas floating around in the old noggin. You can find me on Twitter at DC Matthews NAI. We have an email address, ddtwrestling at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts, your ideas, your long form opinions on pumpkin horror movies or wrestling. Any final words, Doc Manson, before we head off into that good night? Bailey who? We'll see you around the neighborhood, folks. <laughs>